social determinants of health into professional teams, improving healthcare delivery to patients and families. These are the themes of our Urban Service Talks, a podcast featuring the stories of students from a variety of healthcare professions, learning together to serve patients in our underserved community. We are a group of curious Urban Service Track AX scholars, sharing insight to educate and spark change wherever our stories are told. Hello, and welcome to Urban Service Talks, where we bring the student voice to talking about interprofessional teams, social determinants of health, and serving diverse communities. My name is Sarah, and I'm a medical student at the University of Connecticut. My name is Aporva, and I'm a PA student from Quinnipiac University. Today, we're going to be talking about skills and challenges in navigating today's dynamic healthcare arena and how to stay true to yourself in the process. We are joined today by two accomplished practitioners who have been through it all themselves. Dr. Victoria Massey is a general practice dentist providing care to patients at Fairhaven Community Health Center in New Haven. A graduate of the University of Connecticut School of Dental Medicine, Dr. Massey completed a general dental residency program in Massachusetts. She's the core dental liaison with the Connecticut AHEX Urban Service Track. In addition to teaching in the USC program, Dr. Massey is a member of the USC Alumni and Scholar Advisory and Curriculum Committees. She has a clinical appointment through the University of Connecticut School of Pharmacy and a longstanding interest in public health, addressing healthcare disparities and community partnerships. Dr. Douglas Olson is the Chief Medical Officer at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services in Connecticut. He has a multi-decade career focused on primary care and addiction medicine as a physician with experience treating patients at federally qualified community health centers. Before assuming the Chief Medical Officer position in 2020, Dr. Olson served as the Vice President of Clinical Affairs at the Fairhaven Community Health Center, the Chief Medical Officer at the Norwalk Community Health Center, and the Medical Director for Hartford County Site's Primary Care Position at Community Health Centers. Dr. Olson and Dr. Massey, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to talk to you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. All right, let's get started. So since we're a podcast that talks about interprofessionalism, many of our listeners come from different healthcare professions. What are the top three most important skills that anyone going into healthcare needs? Dr. Massey, we can start with you. Okay, so I would say the top three, obviously um, passion, um, I would say empathy, and probably flexibility would be the top three for me. Um, you have to be passionate about the work that you're doing. It's what pushes you to get through each and every day. Um, empathetic of the patients or the populations that you're working with so that you can understand um, or at least try to understand what they're going through and that will help you better care for them. And then flexibility, which is one that I struggle with a little bit, if I can be completely honest. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit type A. <laughs> Uh, it's something that I've had to come to terms with over the years, and you have to be flexible because your days are just going to be constantly, constantly changing, and um, that's, it's just a really important skill to have. Thanks, and I can answer that with my three. I'm going to borrow one from you, Dr. Massey, uh, and one of them is flexibility. Uh, obviously, we've worked together, and we know that flexibility is sometimes the most important thing to get us through the day in, in a sane and meaningful way, but also in, in really impactful uh, ways as well. So flexibility is definitely not a bad word, but th that would be number one. The other 
I think is, is just, you know, a sense of humility and being humble and realizing that absolutely we don't know all the answers and probably never will. That's called lifelong learning, I think, but we don't know what our patients bring into the exam room or what they're experiencing on the other end of the telephone sometimes. And being humble and having humility that their life is not our life is, is you know, that's also sometimes something difficult to remember, certainly when there's emotion involved in a conversation, but it oftentimes becomes all the more important when there is emotion involved in the conversation. And, and you know, third, I, I will always say communication is important, right? It's, it's something that um, we, we learn to communicate when we're really young and start speaking and there's facial expressions and that continues through life. And so realizing that we at times can use that to our advantage and disadvantage to positively and negatively influence relationships and care plans, treatment plans is, is the third thing, communication. Awesome, thank you so much for sharing. So you both are at this point clearly masters of your respective trades and have honed these skills to a, an art form. But at one point you were students just like us. And I think that a piece that is sometimes overlooked is the transition from student to working professional. So if you had to, we'll give you one this time. Um, what skill or I guess you could do a couple. Uh, do you feel like are important in the transition from student to working professional? Um, so I guess I'm a little bit closer to uh, the student end of things uh, than Doug, <laughs> no offense. But um, <laughs> I could say that never a master for sure of, of the profession, always learning, always, always growing. That's, the, that's something that's very important to recognize as you become a professional. Um, I think that a lot of times when we come out of school, we think that we know a lot more than we do. Um, and it is actually really important to sit down with yourself and kind of recognize the skills that you don't have and the places where you can grow um, so that you can constantly be growing. Um, so that for me, I think would be one of the really important skills in that transition, because like I said, you're never really a master of, of these trades. You're always, there's always things to learn. I agree with you a hundred percent. And one of the things I remember when I finished my residency and started seeing patients, I thought, oh, th this is great. I'm not going to have someone looking over my shoulder all the time. I'm not going to have someone reading my notes all the time. I'm just going to be able to sort of put everything I've learned into practice. And I really missed having somebody look over my shoulder all the time <laughs> and look at my notes all the time and help me put things into practice. And so I say that because the first year of being out of school is still a year that I remember as being one of the hardest years of my life because I didn't always have someone to run something by. I didn't have time to have that conversation. And so as much as you spend the day seeing patients, you spend the night learning how to better take care of those patients on things you've never done before, right? There's no daily discussions at that point. And so 
I think it's just the realization, the point I'm trying to, to really hammer home is that learning in general is hard, whether you are paying for it or whether you're getting paid for it. Learning is hard. And the first year being out of training is one of the hardest. I would definitely second that, Doug. Um, I think that also finding the people that you can turn to is really important in, in that first year in that transition. Um, I, I will definitely say that the first couple of weeks uh, when I was practicing on my own, I still would go to my dental director and present patients. And he always had to remind me, you're not a student anymore. You can just go ahead and continue with care. Um, you don't have to present patients anymore. Um, so, but finding those people that you can turn to to help you um, make those decisions when you feel like you're not ready to. Yeah, and I'll just say, you know, it, I think that as much as we talk about the skill set required for work, it's also, you know, right, that idea of, of balance and community, uh, just to pick up on what you just said, Victoria, is, is also really important. So it's, it's that you need to find who you can go to to ask those questions related to patient care, but also creating that community, right? Because when you're in school, you're surrounded by generally a whole group of like-minded people that, for right or wrong, see the world the same way you do many times. And then you go into a brand new environment, oftentimes in, in, you know, a brand new organization, and you have to find those people because the, the struggle of, of the mind is not just a factual one. And as soon as you can create that, um, you know, environment to help with just like the mental struggles of the newness, uh, it, it behooves everybody. Speaking of community, it's, it's pretty clear that healthcare is a team sport. Um, with that in mind, what kind of skills do you think are important in your practice and working well within an interprofessional team? So I, I'm going to reiterate the respect for your, your peers um, portion, and that can lead to building those, those relationships and building that community, having that level of respect for the people that you work with and finding, finding likes, you know, finding the people that you relate to, that you're, you're, you ethically and just, you just can just relate to. And I, I, I would like to say that I definitely found that in Doug when I started working at Fairhaven. Um, he was someone that I definitely turned to and I was able to turn to and I was comfortable turning to when I had questions about how to behave professionally and how to work with interprofessional teams. And, you know, I feel the same way that, that the great thing about working with interprofessional teams is we bring something different to the table. Um, I, 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 as an internist and an addiction doc and not trained in dentistry, <laughs> I'm not trained in behavioral health. I'm not a physical therapist. And I can know that so many people can approach the care of a patient or the care of a community with a completely different skill set, but with an aligned approach on how to, like Victoria, you just said, um, respect and communicate and, and sort of fi find your tribe, as we say. And um, in sort of being in that community is really important. And so, you know, definitely people can bring a way they approach a a patient, a way they approach a community or the world and the skill set with it and really make the care of that patient or community so much better because it's interprofessional. And 
I, I can remember back in 2011 when I was when I was precepting uh, students as part of the urban service track in New Britain. And they would tell me all the time that they were learning from physical therapy students and they were talking about uh, cases with their dental colleagues and bringing that back next week to continue conversations that we wouldn't have had otherwise if they weren't part of that interprofessional community. Awesome. I love what both of you said about finding a community uh, within your workplace of like-minded people who share similar values to you. One value that I know both of you are really big champions of is providing wonderful quality care for urban underserved populations. Um, so with that in mind, what skills do you think are most important for working with these populations? The reason that I'm so passionate about working with underserved populations is because those were my friends, my family, um, those are the people that I related to. Uh, I, I think that something that we've learned over the past year is how important it is to see people like yourself in positions of healthcare, in positions of power, and um, working with these populations. I think that part of part of that that was so important for me was um, for people to be able to see people like themselves um, in their in a healthcare setting. Um, so I think that empathy. I would say is probably one of the most important skills, um, being able to relate with your populations, but also recognizing that there is a lot that you can learn from them. As much as they can learn from you, um, you, you can learn from them. I think that's true. And thanks for saying that, Victoria. It's, um, you know, for, for me, for better or worse, I think in many times, times for worse, the urban underserved, um, they're just just like harder to take to take care of. Not not as not not as individuals, but there's a lot of other stuff that doing right by them brings to the table. There's a lot of social determinants of health, and and those have been laid bare over the course of the past year. There's a lot of medical problems. Uh, behavioral health problems, dental problems, uh, community problems. And to do right for your patient, you can't just see the one little slice of life that they bring into the room in order to discuss with you that day. And so it makes for the engagements with patients and their families and opportunities to help them where they're at very rich, very meaningful, and you know, right? Being being selfish. If you want to say, are healthcare professionals selfish for a minute? There's a ton of reward in that, and and that, you know, selfish is not always a bad word. Like to show up to work every day and do something amazing for someone that needs it. That is the best gift in our profession that you can get that doesn't cost a darn thing. And so um, all of that. I think you've both said it beautifully, uh, addressing you know patient social determinants of health, understanding that a patient isn't just medical problems, but rather an, an entire person with different factors that affect their whole lives that contribute to their health. And we've talked a lot about skills related to healthcare, but what's one scale completely kind of outside of healthcare that you found benefiting your practice? So 
one skill outside of healthcare, and and I might just say a life skill, as as we say, um, is is really just that for me that constant awareness that there's so much in life I don't know, and what that really reinforces is the fact that I don't need to understand something in order to accept it. I think that's really important for urban underserved patients, but I think just life in general, that it, it's taken me a, a, a number of years and I'm not ready to retire just yet, but um, I think that one of the things that has helped me in life and certainly helped me in practice has been accepting things without fully understanding them. And that's okay. One thing I think we're getting from both of you is that when we sign up for this profession, we're going to be lifelong learners. Learning doesn't stop when we leave the classroom. But to shift focus a little bit, since Aporva and I at least are still in the classroom at the moment, uh, one thing that has been kind of a buzzword and has come up quite a bit throughout our education is a focus on wellness and a focus on work-life balance. Uh, we talk about this a lot in school. It's brought up in all sorts of programs and committees and they make it sound really great. Uh, you know, you can have it all. You can be a practitioner and have a life and eat healthy meals and get exercise. But we really wanna know from you who are out there practicing Honestly, what is the reality of work-life balance and wellness? How do you handle that in your day-to-day -day life and practice? So speaking of lifelong learning, I think that that's a skill that you will spend the rest of your life trying to learn, especially in healthcare, um, um, particularly in when, when dealing with underserved populations. And I, I, don't, I can't speak to actually the world outside of that much, but um, you, become very committed to what you're doing. That's, that's why you're here. That's the reason that you're in healthcare to begin with. Um, so you're very committed to the work that you're doing and it doesn't end at five o'clock. You're not punching a clock. Um, you know, it's not an eight to five job. It's an all the time job. You're dealing with the work that you do constantly. There are nights that you can't sleep because you're thinking about a patient and something that happened during that day. And or you're up at night writing, um, writing letters to Medicaid, you know, to try and get approval for uh, treatment for patients. Um, so it's, uh, it's very difficult. Work-life work balance is something that's very difficult. And I can say that I have not mastered it at all, um, uh, but it is something that, you know, like I said, you constantly are trying to do. Um, and for me, the most important thing is my family and spending time with my family and drawing a line um, with my family. Um, that's something that I always have tried really hard to do. Um, one of the things that I always do and Doug will know is that when I'm on vacation, I don't respond to emails. That is my thing because I am, I am with my family. I'm, I'm spending that time because, you know, 47 other weeks of the year, 48 other weeks of the year, however many it is, um, that the work really does come first um, because it is, it is what I feel that my purpose is. Um, so sometimes you really just have to make that decision to put something else first. And, and I do know that you don't reply to emails when you're away with your family. And I think that's awesome. I think that by doing that, it's, it's definitely, you know, 
sort of walking the walk and not just talking the talk of saying that when it comes to work-life balance, at least as, as I think about it, it's both thought and action. And so, so many of us come into healthcare with, with a healthy disquieted mind. And that is not a bad thing to have a disquieted mind. You're always looking for solutions, whether it be to, as you said, writing to an insurer at the end of the day to help somebody or solving bigger problems or really focusing in on a single patient. Th those are, those are, you know, actions and thoughts. It's tough to turn the thoughts off when you walk out the door sometimes though. And so if people are struggling with work-life balance, I, I think it's easier to start with the actions of work-life balance, not answering your emails at certain times, uh, making sure that you leave on time, you arrive on time. And then oftentimes the thoughts follow the actions. I think it's very, very difficult to say, when I leave work, I'm just not going to think about it. Or when I arrive at work, I'm not going to think about my family because because that's just that's that's a false dichotomy. And if that's your your goal, you may not be successful. But the actions can certainly be defined, and sticking to them, to your point, Victoria, um, is a hard thing, and it's something that I as well am uh, continuing on my lifelong learning with. <laughs> Thank you. Those were definitely some helpful pearls on maintaining that work-life balance. But keeping on that theme, um, with respect to balance in the professional field, uh, as students, we, Sarah and I often struggle with wanting to say yes to every opportunity. So what's your advice on establishing boundaries when everything sounds interesting? Learning to say no is a really difficult skill as well. <laughs> um, especially when you're, I think when you're new, it's also very difficult because you want to show people that you are dedicated. Um, so saying no becomes extremely difficult because you have to question if, if I do say no, are they going to question my dedication to this career? Um, so it's, it's very difficult to say no, but you do have to do it. You do, unfortunately, there's just too many opportunities uh, that exist out there. Um, you can't commit yourself fully and you can't give your all to specific projects if you're saying yes to everything and spreading yourself too thin. Um, unfortunately, it's something that we all do though. We do say yes an awful lot and don't say no a lot. It's interesting, right? Because like no is one of the first words we learn to say as a, as a baby. That's usually kids learn how to say no before yes. And then you get into the healthcare profession and you sort of have to unlearn and relearn. And I think that um, earlier in your career, for sure, um, you know, to, to your point, Apoorva, is that you say yes more often than no. And it's, it's that constant balance of time commitment, um, sort of impact and effort and weighing all of those things. And I don't wanna lose the thread of work-life balance either. So for every, one thing you might be able to do is every time you say yes to something that is professional, say yes to something that is personal. That'll definitely help with balance. Um, and every time you say no, follow that same rubric. So going along the theme of wanting to represent yourself well uh, when you first start out, how do you develop kind of those marketable skills while still continuing to, to follow your passions? I think um, advocating for yourself, I would say, is probably one of the ways. 
um, advocating for yourself, advocating for your patients. Um, it, it, it shows people what you stand for. Um, so I, I would say that that's, that's something that's really important. And then also being honest with yourself in terms of what are your identified, gosh, I hate to use the word, but I'll say identified deficiencies. And, and, the, and you're going to improve those throughout life and get to a, a place you want to be. And then you're going to move along in life and realize that you've come full circle and you didn't think your skill set was as good as you did five years ago and it needs to be improved. And so I think that as I agree with you, Victoria, in terms of advocacy, advocacy is oftentimes a way to um, sort of feed frustration too. And, um, and it's a really meaningful way to do it and you see some outcome. But at the same time, when you start saying yes to things, one way you might be able to do it is to say, what, what is my transferable skill set that I need to improve? How can this potentially grow my CV and fill that gap while at the same time doing good for the world. And so being strategic about what you say yes to, being strategic about the skill sets that you have and the skill sets that you need is absolutely one way that can inform your saying yes or no. Amazing. Uh, continuing along that theme of being honest with yourself and others, um, we know it's the case that many people go into healthcare saying that they want to work with urban underserved populations. And the reality is that because these communities are often under-resourced, by choosing to work in that setting, your compensation is likely going to be different than if you were working in private practice. So we want to know, how do you make decisions about what to prioritize in terms of, on one hand, values and the sort of reason that drove you into healthcare, and on the other hand, you know, we're all coming out of this with loans. So, what would you say? That's that's a tough one too. Um, so, I think oh, prioritizing, uh, honestly, just sometimes making a list can can be the best thing that you can do to really figure out what your priorities are, um, and. And also not limiting yourself to um, to like one specific um, path. So yes, like you said, there the pay is not necessarily where you would like to see it at in um, the community settings. It wouldn't. It's not on par with it. What would it? What it would be in the private sector? But you're also you also get to go home at the end of the day um, and and sit with your values and really know that you did something that means a lot to you. Um, you can do something that's, that's good for patients and good for the world anywhere in healthcare, but you have to really figure out what means the most to you. Um, so really just kind of prioritizing those things and knowing that there are lots of opportunities out there and you can't really limit yourself to one. So you really have to kind of open yourself up to other opportunities because there could be um, a place that you can you can make more money or perhaps there's programs that you can you know um, think about that would do loan repayment and you can be working with the communities that you choose to work with and you're making a little bit less money but at um, the other end you're getting some something back to help with your loans so it's a little bit of balance there as well 
You're so right. I, I agree with you. I, I know, I mean, taking care of the urban underserved, many times there are programs either at the state or federal level that help with loan repayment. So, right, the National Health Service Corps is one that a lot of people who care for the urban underserved either participate in at the scholarship level or as a loan repayer. And, um, and that's number one. And that, that affects so many disciplines, not as many as, as, as we collectively listening to, to this might want, but uh, it's definitely been expanding. Number two is, um, I would say that in, in terms of, in terms of thinking about what you might get in terms of pay working for the underserved, my mindset has always been what I get in terms of compensation. And I think that that was really echoing what, what Dr. Massey just said in terms of there's the money in your pocket, there might be a loan repayment, but, but then there's that sense of what did I do for the world and who did I do it for? And that is by all means part of compensation. There's a saying that I have kept since I was a college student in my office at home. My mom gave it to me and it said, those who follow their hearts seldom lose their way. And that is life advice for me. And I think that if you're following your heart in terms of what you want to do, you will seldom lose your way and you'll figure all the rest out somehow. That was a beautiful piece of advice. And um, speaking of advice, we've covered a lot of skills that students are gonna have to build and issues that they'll have to navigate on their journey to becoming healthcare professionals. What role does mentorship play in this process? Mentorship is obviously a very, very huge role in, in the process. Um, my experience at Fairhaven wouldn't have been the same uh, as, it, as it was without Doug there to help guide me in dealing with everything that comes with working in healthcare. Because when we come out of school, we have a specific skill set. You have the skills to do the medicine. <laughs> I, I, coming out of school for me, I had the skills to do the dentistry, but there's a lot more to it than that. There's um, dealing with people and not just the patients, dealing with the staff that you work with. And it can be really diff difficult to traverse that. And having people, we talked about community a little bit earlier, um, having the tribe that you build there to help guide you through that is incredibly important. They, they come with a lot of experiences. They come with a lot of, <laughs> they come with a lot of um, knowledge and they can, they can provide a lot of information for you and help you to really figure out how you would like to traverse that world. Mentorship is so important. Knowing that there's a difference between role models and mentors is important. Sometimes it's the same person, but they are definitely two different uh, type of folks. I think identifying who you need to be a mentor, why you want someone to be your mentor, being a good mentee is also a, is half, half of a relationship here. And um, and I think that realizing that, look, you, you can have more than one mentor, not, and you realize as you move through life that sometimes one mentor who was good for you at one stage of your career is not the mentor 
that you need for the next stage of your career or the next thing that you wanna do in your life. And so if you're lucky, you'll have a lot of mentors to, for a lot of different reasons at multiple stages of your career. And we wanna thank you guys for being incredible mentors to, to students like us. And to kind of start to wrap things up, um, we wanna focus on the topic of success. So as healthcare professional students, we all hope to be successful in our future careers. How has your idea of success changed from when you were a student to now? Something that we have to talk about when we, when we talk about success is failure. Um, I think that one of the most important skills that we have to learn as healthcare professionals is how to deal with failure. And I know that for me specifically, um, and I know that for a lot of students, coming, getting to the point of being in professional school has been a very straight line, has been riddled with success. And getting to that point, like I can, I can speak for me personally only, um, everything went as planned, you know, but then there comes a point in life, it's going to happen at some point where something is going to go awry, and you're going to fail. And you have to learn how to rise up from that. Um, so for me, I can say that defining success is, is in, is in getting through and, and, and standing strong through your failures. I agree with you completely, Dr. Massey. And something I say often is success is a squiggly line, <laughs> and, right? Uh, that's, that's, you know that I say to people all the time, success is a squiggly line. It's a lot of ups and downs. And that's what I have learned uh, so far in my life is that it is not a straight line to just reiterate what, what what you just said, it um, at times might seem like a straight line, but there's gonna be that peak and valley. And so having your North stars and keeping your eyes on the prize is really important to the point of put it on a piece of paper and hang it above your desk because so sometimes you need that reminder. Absolutely. I'm sure that all of us listening, myself included, will keep that in mind when we inevitably reach our own squiggles on our lines to success. Uh, Dr. Massey and Dr. Olson, thank you so much again for joining us. This has been absolutely incredible, and I feel like we've gained so much from your conversation and your mentorship. Um, to anyone listening, if you enjoyed this conversation and are interested in more interprofessional dialogue, we would encourage you to check out the rest of the episodes that are coming through the Urban Service Talks podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Connecticut AHEC and UConn Health. Let's keep this talk going. Join us on Twitter at Talks Service, Instagram at Urban Service Talks, or by email at ust.pod at gmail.com. <laughs>